Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. You get to listen in to our live event in Denver called The Rise of the Torah. During this event, we're talking with Drs. Mark George and Pam Eisenbaum about the development of writing in the Old Testament. So join us as we listen in as Ryan starts to reminisce about being back in Denver. Enjoy! We brew theology, as many of y'all know, and we create interfaith communities. There's, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and so, uh, it, speaking of a long time ago, yeah. in, a, in a Denver a mile high city, yes, yes, far, far away from where I live, we started this in Denver, and this used to be Wits Inn back in the day, and some of our first speakers were in this building. And looking around, I'm just going to have a moment because there are a lot of old faces, not that you're old, uh, beautiful, we're all getting old. It's a, you know what, spoiler alert, yeah, it's, it's, we are, we're, ve- we're veterans. Uh, but it's, a, it's good to be back. So the last time we were in this room, we had a, a guest speaker, and I believe it was Professor Ted Vile doing AI, which is kind of, we need to bring him back. Yeah, I think you're right. And then uh, we made a couple of COVID jokes, not realizing that it was a big deal. And then about two weeks later, we closed shop. <laughs> and we, uh, half our chapters disappeared. And then eventually, uh, you know, we started a few more chapters. So there are a few more that we've got out there. I've got one in Waco, uh, conversation for another day. Uh, yes, you guys should come to Waco, Texas. You know, you know Dan, Dan you, you may like, it's changed a lot since you were in Texas. So <laughs> you can go to the Magnolia. You know, I can show you around the, the, the river, go see a Baylor game, but anyway. So t- uh, tonight we're going to have a lot of fun. We've got a, uh, it's going to be a galactic night. Uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to have lots of like rebellious questions, yeah? Yeah. We'll have some dark-sided beer, and uh, party favors thanks to Janelle, uh, unofficially endorsed by the Ewoks of Indoor. So uh, take whatever you would like on the tables, too. Uh, koozies, stickers, pens, glasses, have fun. Uh, also, since we're not going to have an official break, you can go and you can get beer. You're all adults. You know where the restrooms are. I believe there's one back here. Uh, so with, before we get into our, our speakers tonight and, and while you're all here, uh, we're, we're going to have a little fun with some lightsabers. So yeah. I, I grew up a good old Southern Baptist boy, and Janelle grew up a, a good old Nazarene girl. And we know that sword drills were a big thing. Like we could, oh. Christina knows this too. There's a few people in this room who could probably kick ass on sword drills. So we're going to do Jedi saber drills. So we're going to need, uh, and you're going to get a free t-shirt if you win this, FYI. So instead of the Bible, we're going to use Star Wars quotes that are pretty low-hanging fruit. So you're going to stand back-to-back with your lightsabers, and then right when I say the quote, and if you know the answer, you turn around and you whack the person. Okay? Now, if you get, if you get it wrong, then they get the t-shirt. So does that sound fun? Yeah. Who wants to go? So we need two volunteers. Christina. And, all right, Katie, there you go. And these are not the most um, powerful lightsabers ever. So you, got, you have to go back, back to back. Just don't knock over any drinks, speakers, equipment. Uh, okay, are you ready? Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? Oh, that's what it was, was the scruffy-nothing nerf herder. You got to say it. Five, four, do you have it? Three, two, who okay, life, lifeline, who said it? So who got, who got it first? There you go. All right, so we got a, couple, a few t-shirts here. Pick whichever one you like. 
No, that's it. This is just one, one short little quote. All right, who's up next? We have four we T-shirts need to one. give away. So Come this on, is, this have is fun. fun. Let's go. I'll, and I'll throw you a lifeline, too, if you need it. And if you really like those lightsabers, you may take them home here's, here's as well. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> who said the quote? Yeah, you got to na na name that Star Wars character. Ready? Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Yoda. You got to hit him. Yoda, you got it. You got the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, two more. We got two more shirts to give away. Come on up. Ooh, we even got buns. I know. Look at her hair. It's awesome. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh. <laughs> t-shirt the bible yeah come on star wars nerds one t-shirt left okay come on rabbi steve i know you want the shirt come on duh, 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 duh. And I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the easiest one too i've got a yeah we'll give here. you a we'll give you the softball this is this is super easy i'm not gonna give you qui-gon all right we got we need one more person <laughs> if, if nobody wants to take the lightsaber, Christina's back up. Come on down. Pick your, pick, choose wisely. The force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. My sister has it. Luke. Yes. <laughs> and that's Luke. All right. Uh, th that, was, that was super easy. Let's see, uh, hokey religions and ancient weapons. No, see, they're, they're so, I think these are all easy. All right, great. Uh, that was, uh, enjoy the t-shirts. And you can also, if you, if you want a t-shirt, you can actually go online and, and you can buy them and they'll ship it to your house. So it's on, it's on the website. If you go under swag, you can find it that way. And there's another, there's another one with like the, the empire on it. The Brew Theology website. The actual, and then you go under swag and you can find all the stuff on there. Brewtheology.org. Brewtheology.org, yes. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And Twitter, <laughs> underscore, brew, underscore, theology. Okay, are we ready? We're ready. This is going to be fun. So we're going right. uh, to have Mark up first, Dr. Mark George. Dr. Mark George, I will do a short introduction with a little Star Wars fun here. So he is a professor of Bible and ancient systems of thought and director of the University of Denver Islip School of Theology, joint PhD program in the study of, here we go, religion, the dark stuff. Um, so you know, if we, you, so this is what's great about, about Mark is that you are, you've been on four times now. I know, I'm going for seven. Which, which means, <laughs> which means you're, on, you're on the heels, right, of, of the number one person on, on the podcast. Do I know that person? I think you may. I may, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So we, we had asked uh, Mark and Pan these questions of which Star Wars character they most identify with, and then we asked their, uh, their beloved spouse as well, so, but they didn't share these answers. So, uh, Mark, <laughs> you, say, you say that your character is Wicket W. Warwick, because, well, who wouldn't? 
curious, open to new things, fight stormtroopers with a slingshot. That, that was your answer. Now, here's, yeah. what, here's what Pam said about you. Pam, Pam. <laughs> Warwick, the slingshot guy. <laughs> so here's the a, Ewok. Now, you're going to love Almost. what Pam said about you. She said that you're Ewok. a toss-up between Han Solo and Rey, but she's going to go with Hans, and she's going to keep it simple. She says he's capable of fixing anything, very, <laughs> very smart, but often underestimated by others, comes across as grumpy, um, even when he's not, quick with a comeback, says he doesn't want to get involved, but is, in fact, loyal, resourceful, and brave. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to be in a lifeboat with. Chewie is his best friend. <laughs> Our beloved dog, Mocha, she and Mark achieved cross-species communication. I want to hear more about that. Unrivaled by anyone. He loved her about as much as he loved me. I loved her, too. Unfortunately, she passed a couple years ago. She says, I find Han, Han to be the most attractive character in the whole series. Need I say more? Wow. Okay. Hello. <laughs> okay. There's a lot going on there. Put the fan on. And then do you want to hear why she said Ray? This is, this is yeah. fun. She said uh, she almost picked Ray because um, Ray's honest, and Mark is the most honest person I know. Hans is some, sometimes duplicitous, and Ray never is. <laughs> so there you have it. That's a, that was okay. very thoughtful. That was uh, yeah. Whole, yeah. Can we skip my responses? <laughs> so I'm going to call you Han throughout the night. This, okay. is, good. this, is, good. this mm. is great. So tonight, as you all know, we're talking about the rise of the... a good blaster. Yes. You, the rise of the Torah, and uh, specifically <clears throat> Deuteronomy within this portion. But, you know, we may go all over the place. This is what happened. So back in the day, we would ha have... Um, well, this has to be more controlled, because back in the day, we would be in a basement... And, and we can edit things out. So we have a limited time here. So we had a, and, and y'all are going to have time out there to do some Q&A. So I'm going to keep these short and simple, and we're going to go back and forth here. So in a galaxy where oral tradition was the way of the force, why did writing, now we're specifically talking about writing and, and oral tradition here, going back, way, way, way back, okay? Why did it become a te technological ally? And then the next part of that question We'll get to later, but this you could probably talk about this for 15 minutes. But no, we have yeah, five questions. Yeah, but let's keep questions. a timer on me. <laughs> uh, so uh, um, writing is something that the Empire liked, <clears throat> right? Uh, actually, th that's not a bad answer for the ancient world as well. But um, So writing is a weird thing. We, don't, we, we aren't born and start writing. Uh, well, I didn't. Um, you may all have. <laughs> Um, so it's, you have these oral cultures and they're telling stories and they're still telling stories. <clears throat> Excuse me, we still have cultures that tell, pass their lore on orally. Um, but writing does certain things for you. If you're gonna hear the same story from four different storytellers, you're gonna have four different stories. Writing begins to give uh, stories form and consistency. So, um, if you're ever telling stories to, to children and they know the story from somewhere else and you tell it differently, are they gonna call you out on it? Yes, they're gonna call you out on it. So uh, I think one of the reasons why you get the uh, writing as a technology that's useful is that everybody gets the same information. And for the empire, which wants conformity, that's a really great thing. All right, so like the rise of the rebel alliance against the galactic empire, how did it alter our perception of storytelling and recollection? Loaded question. How did writing get, uh, alter our perceptions? Uh, in lots of different ways. It, one is that, that stories, 
excuse me, have, have a consistency to them, right? Their uh, writing makes things regular um, so that you can compare them and, it, and stories begin to, to uh, become the same sort of story. Catch, catch the rest of the, will you repeat the question on some yes. of the other pieces? Okay, so uh, like the rise of the Rebel Alliance against yep. the Galactic Empire, how did it alter our perception of storytelling and recollection? Yeah, so uh, it, it brings some consistency to it. It also shares it. If you can't hear somebody who is a speaker, let's say in the Christian tradition, Jesus, um, if somebody can write that down and send that speech to you, say a series of quotes that you could have uh, lightsaber drills over, you can be sure you've got the same piece and it can go to another, another place. Writing does this, this technology is, uh, the, is the ability to share the same kind of message across time and space. We do that all the time now when we're sending texts, but we're sending texts, right? Um, because they can be shared and that, that story gets um, conveyed in the same way or largely the same way from one place to another. You don't have to be at the same place to hear a story. And uh, that's one of the real innovations that's taking place when you have a technology like writing, um, that, that more people get to hear the story. You have to have some other skills then. You have to learn how to read. You have to learn how to write. It's helpful if people spell words the same way. So some of those things have to develop uh, as well. In my classes, uh, I have to remind my students, this is formal writing. Texting, text shortcuts are not appropriate uh, in this context. <laughs> so uh, you also get some variations that can show up. Thanks. Well, memory we know plays a pivotal role in Deuteronomy, just like the holographic messages left by Jedi Masters. In the original Star Wars movie, Princess Leia takes the Death Star plans to Obi-Wan Kenobi, allowing the rebels to plan their attack. How does the offloading of information onto R2-D2 relate to the use of writing in the Bible where memory and remembering were such an important concept? Such a great question. You never, you probably don't think of the Bible in R2-D2. Um, I'd like to use Thank that. Thank you for entertaining us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, like to enter, I'd like to use that in class. Um, so what happens when, uh, what is it that, that uh, gets sent from Princess Leia to Obi-Wan Kenobi in R2-D2. It's the plans of the Death Star, right? Why do they need the plans? To take it down, they have to find a vulnerability. They're able to get really complicated information that's exactly to spec, if I can put it that way, and send it to a group that wants to, to do something different with it. So when you are able to offload some of your memory into writing, it's a nice storage uh, uh, process for you, right? It's, it's like having a hard drive. And so this is one of the things that writing does. Actually, uh, the, the Greek philosopher Plato really didn't like writing because people didn't have to keep remembering uh, and, and, and to learn and internalize what they had learned in the stories and whatnot and keep them in their active memory. Writing was helpful, but you also couldn't ask questions of it. So um, writing becomes this great storage mechanism. That's why we have libraries, right? Uh, and lots of books that we haven't read. Um, because it's containing all this knowledge. And it comes in a convenient carrying case in most cases. 
at least when you, when you get the development of the book. And I have some books that not only are convenient storage devices, they prop doors open really well. <laughs> um, so there are other, other possibilities that arise once you have this um, ability to take the memories and preserve them and to pass them around in that form so that if you and if your memory gets a little fuzzy on something you can go back and check it and read it and uh, see if your memory is accurate to what was written awesome we, we going back to uh, years ago you know you had you talked about you used to lug around books all the time and now you actually do you probably use them as doorstops because you have it all digitally we'll get to the digital stuff later because we digital bibles i forgot what episode that is that was a great podcast yeah yeah, Christina, you were on that one. All right, so yeah. now we're going to get down to the Deuteronomy stuff, the, the chosen one of Israel. Okay, so the concept of the chosen one, right, it's central to the Star Wars saga, as we all know. How does this compare to the ways in which religious texts like Deuteronomy create and shape the identity of a chosen people? Yeah, interesting. Well, I don't get out much. It's an interesting question. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that's odd if you... Uh, happen to read a Bible, and if you happen to read Deuteronomy, the last of the books in the in the Pentateuch of the, the first five books, is that um, it's really a, it's kind of a narcissistic book. Um, it it tells the readers, "This is the Torah. You shall do everything that's written in this book. You shall not add anything to it, or take anything away from it, or turn to the right or the left, because it is the path you shall follow." Um, and and this is the way, that's right. And so um, we're thinking about the chosen one. Deuteronomy understands itself in many ways as the chosen one. I have the answer for who you, who you are. And if you will both learn the words and internalize them and then also keep this written document with you, you can't go wrong. How, how, that's, it's just not possible. I got, oh, I got so, so much follow-up, but I know, we, I know we're on a time crunch here. If we were in the basement back in the day, <laughs> rock this for three you hours. You throw one in, and we can, we can edit around it. Okay. Well, just going along that line, this is the way. Just as the emperor and Lord Vader created a passive and obedient empire, you mentioned the concept of the docile subject in relation to Deuteronomy. Can you elaborate on this ideal and how it relates to the book's use of writing as an effective and perhaps dangerous authoritative tool. Yeah. Insert imperial music. Dun, dun, <laughs> yeah, dun, I'm thinking, dun, you know, dun, Luke, dun, come over dun, to dun. the dark side. We, have <laughs> we do have cookies. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I totally get my nerd on with talking about something like a docile subject. Um, it doesn't normally come up in casual conversation. So, um, how many of you read the terms and conditions of the apps that you download? Oh, wow. This is May maybe one hand. I'm impressed, Eric. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you have a dispute with the app maker, are they going to ask you if you sign the terms? Yes. Yeah. And if you. Have you read them to know you'll be in arbitration, not in court, and things like that for disputes about them? So we get controlled by the contracts that are written. 
And if they're verbal contracts, those can be contracts. I'm sure there are lawyers in the group who can, who can correct me on my knowledge here. But written contracts are really useful in court. Why? Because then you, everyone can see the terms. Oh, right, you, you, you um, signed off on this app and you said that you had read the terms and you understood that and we can hold you to those terms. Well, when you're, what you're doing is you're agreeing to be, have your, have your behavior, have the way you use that app take a certain shape, do certain things. Can you decode the app? Well, I can't. You might be able to, but you're not supposed to, right? You can't, you can't hack the, the, the software. Um, there are lots of things that we do that um, we're conforming our behavior to things that were written down. If you run a red light at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Broadway, good idea, bad idea, probably depends where on Broadway you are. But that's, that's um, not the behavior that we as a society expect you to have as, as a driver. With something like Deuteronomy, when you're supposed to keep reading the book and internalizing the message of the book, the commands, the statutes, and ordinances of the Bible, uh, of that particular book, really, part of that is to shape your mind and to shape your actions so that you know that um, you are someone who is fulfilling the agreement, in the case of Deuteronomy, between God and Israel. You're becoming Israel. You're becoming the subject of Israel, uh, of Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is writing about Israel. And by telling it what, it what it means to be Israel, and you following those things that are in the book, you're, you are subordinating yourself to those words. Just think about that for a minute. It's kind of a weird thing. It's not the words of a parent. It's actually not the direct words of God because those, what I've said earlier uh, tonight already, right? When you have an oral culture and you start writing things down, you don't need the speaker anymore either. You don't, God's on holiday. And I hear the flowers in California have been terrific this year. <laughs> So uh, God doesn't have to, to be in, in conversation with Israel in the same way because you've already got these words written down. Um, so this is one of the things that, that writing is doing and accomplishing and how when we, when we accept writing and we, we understand ourselves in some way to be addressed by the writing, a line like, uh, hear, O Israel, and if you understand yourself addressed by that writing and it, it has an obligation on you, then you're beginning to become this obedient person to what's written. And the, the, the way that writing has entered into our cultures and made that the, the case rather than oral stories, I think is really uh, an amazing technological change in human culture. And that's a that's a playful transition because you still have this oral tradition that's happening kind of like now we have still have paper Bibles moving to digital and we're going to get to that. Uh, but then you you have like it's as if Moses is still talking. It's as if God is still talking. It's as if right. the king and then but then that's that's the other thing. Is, and if you want to touch on that as well, the the government, the government is now like creating like can't can create based on this book. Because it, it, I mean, you do you mind going there a little bit? Because I, I, I found that to be fascinating when you, when you were talking about, so it's spiritual, it's, it's, but it's also very political as well. 
based on how, how the, the storytelling was in written down. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I got to become this, this subject. Right. I got to be obedient. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and for uh, something like the biblical books, where prior to that, writing is the domain of uh, imperial powers and uh, royal administrations. They make monuments and they write on them. And not very many people can read the writing. But you know that the king has made this big statue. Um, when you get to something like Hebrew, one of the theories is that, that writing has escaped royal control. It's sort of the rebel alliance. Um, and they're using it for their own purposes. Deuteronomy's great because, okay, so now we're into the digital. I didn't bring a print Bible uh, tonight. But, but if you can write out the words on a piece of parchment, or you even have a whole scroll that can be pretty small, and it's a nice, convenient carrying case. So you can transport it around. When you've got a big stone monument, it's hard to put those in your wagon and drag those around. So um, it's, it's escaping imperial control at this, at this point, and, uh, and so kings and uh, empires start to get worried, worried about what gets written. Why is Darth Vader chasing Princess Leia at the opening of the fourth Star Wars mo movie, or for me, the first Star Wars movie? Um, It'll be always be the first. <laughs> beca <laughs> because he needs, they, they want to get those plans. Uh, they want to have control over them. They want to have control over, over what is written. Um, I'm really thinking about chat GPT and all the nefarious uses that could be put to that, um, so writing yeah, there's some other, other political pieces that that are floating in the back of my mind with this. So true story, and you're, you're gonna you're gonna love this, and you're gonna. I use ChatGBT to help prod to create some of these questions. Cool. Yeah, I just I just I was like, all right, I'm gonna prompt it. I'm gonna give it the stuff that I know that you like to talk about, and uh, so it's it's now somewhere stored away. So I don't know yeah. what's I don't know what's gonna happen, but. Um, I can't wait till it shows up in my students' papers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I was like, let me let me insert some of these writings right here and It'll see what great. happens. It'll be great. We'll have a we'll have an oral don't worry, conversation. Don't worry. I, did, I didn't take your whole wrote. journal and put it on. Don't we'll, worry. Don't we'll worry. have an oral conversation about what they wrote and say, well, what did the author mean by this, knowing that it's something I said. <laughs> I, I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. So, how many? How, I'm curious, uh, uh, Hans. How many of y'all have been using that lately? The last few months. Yeah. It's been wild. It's a, so we're going to get, just as the empire and the resistance <laughs> rely upon technology daily, we're no different. So in what ways do you think our current reliance on digital technologies for communication and information consumption is affecting our ability to critically engage with information and ideas? Are you hopeful? Do you see this reliance as problematic? Why, why not? We've ha I think we've talked a little bit about this in the past. And, and I think we disagree yeah. with each other a little bit, because you're hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> that was before ChatGPT wrote your questions for you. No, they, they helped me. I helped them, they helped me. It was oh, symbiotic, just like the droids. Yeah. You still have to program uh, so, the droids. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You still have to program the droids. So you've asked me like six questions there. Yeah. Go for it. Have fun um, with it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You can yeah. let so, <laughs> you're the prepared student. I'm winging it. Um, so, 
I, I gave a talk um, last year in which I said, every night when I go to bed, I turn my phone off. And a friend of mine, who's a real tech guy, leaned over to my lovely uh, partner and wife and said, like, off, off? <laughs> he couldn't believe it. <clears throat> and I love that comment, um, partly because the answer is yes, off, off. Um, and and it, it, it captures for me how we're living through this digital revolution, but kind of sleepwalking our way through it. How many of you uh, have a phone with you tonight? <laughs> That's the whole room. Okay. How many, who doesn't have a phone with them tonight? Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Here's my star. Um, so, so... Um, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Why she is. So why do we do that? To stay connected. So I find that really a curious kind of way. I mean, that's a way in which we have been, become subjugated to our technology. How many of you are happy with the fact that you, can be, that, that you can be reached anywhere, anytime, and expected to respond within about 27 seconds? Did you say happy? I said happy. No, that's not the emotion that comes that's up. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and yet we do it, right? We do it to ourselves. And uh, it's, it's in some ways because I'm old enough to have imagined something else. I have these debates with my family members. Why do you put your phone on airplane mode in the car? What if I need to reach you? We'll leave a message. But it's urgent. I'll get it when I take my phone off, I, you know, I've, I've parked the car and I've gotten out of the car and I, and I, and I uh, answer my phone. I used to be able to survive that way long ago. Um, I also rode my bike without a helmet and I did a whole bunch of crazy things. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I guess I'm a daredevil. Um, so, so the technology has worked its way into our lives in, in ways that continue to, to amaze me and perplex me and, I, and it took writing a long time to make its way into culture outside of royal control. Technology has, ha has, has invaded our lives really fast. And I think humans, I'm hopeful because I think humans will adapt how to manage this, right? Uh, as a professor, I'm worried about how are my students reading and, and learning information? And there are different ways in which we read it when we're reading it on our phone and, and on our computers or tablets or whatever the digital format is from when we're reading on a print book or a print article or whatever it is. Um, the radical idea I tell my students who are studying for their doctoral degrees is print it out. And they're like, do I still have a printer? Can I do that at school? You can do it at school. <laughs> they still have them at school. Print them out and read it because it's a different way of engaging your work and your ideas. Um, so this digital revolution we're in is affecting so many ways in which we think and we interact um, and or don't interact and I think that we will catch up I don't know how quickly we'll catch up we this generation or the one that's being raised right now I don't think it's going to be my generation I think it's younger generations that grow up grow up with it and are are um, used to it in a way that 
that I'm not. Whether they understand that the, what's under the hood, if I can put it that way, is different. I probably, and I'm not a computer tech person, I probably have more knowledge w of some of it than, than my students and whatnot. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think are the impacts? I mean, you look at Star Wars, and I'm going to say this other franchise on Star Wars Day, I'm sorry, um, and Star Trek, and you don't see paper. You don't see printouts. You don't see anything um, tangible in that way. It's all electronic. Uh, what do you think about the impacts of that on culture, and what do you think that's going to look like in the future? I uh, personally, I don't think paper and books are going to go away any more than uh, horses and saddles and that goes away, or bikes go away, or or other kinds of things. I don't know anybody. I don't know very many people who are heating their house with coal. Um, so technologies do change, but I think um, I think things like writing. On on paper and whatnot, those are gonna those are gonna remain. They have their uses, and I don't know that we're quite at a point where digital will completely uh, supplant that. Okay. I was thinking about um, the Star Wars and Star Trek uh, division because I don't want a smart speaker in my home, especially after I read of all the things <laughs> that are being recorded constantly by that stuff. Um, I still believe in this concept of privacy. <laughs> it, it means something to me. Um, in the Star Wars world, they don't say, computer, you know, do this. They usually have knobs or something that they're turning or shifting or doing something. On Star Trek, it's computer. Tell me, you know, the average velocity of an unladen African mm -hmm. sparrow. <laughs> um, I'm sure Kirk said that more than once. Um, so that's a real difference, and I find that interesting. It's distinguishing between the series, but it's interesting that, that George Lucas, when he thought of this, didn't do that. Right. And it may be to distinguish. Um, nevertheless, I don't see people... Uh, well, there's... Right, one of the interesting things in the later Star Wars movies is uh, Luke on his... Wherever the planet is, there's a book. Yeah. Or several books. Christina, what's that place called? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, with the weird puffins. Yes, um, <laughs> the weird puffins. Puffin land. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, and the tree, yep. which eventually gets burned by Luke. But there's, there are four or five books there, and they happen to be books, not scrolls, yep. which is also interesting, which is its own technology. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know, with time maybe it will go, may, I don't know, maybe it will go away, but I'm interested in this. Uh, recently I, I heard that uh, is texting going out and voice messaging in lieu of texting is the thing. I still think scrolls are cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bit behind. Yeah, I just bought a record player, a turntable, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think vinyl sales are more than CDs right now. Yeah, yep. they just they just came back. Yeah, but that could be a nostalgia thing. My ki my kids my kids have no idea what tapes are. They they're like, what is what is that? I've and these old boxes I've got. What is that? Oh, it's a mix mixtape. <laughs> Man, if you didn't have a mixtape. True Guardians of the Galaxy. That's, oh, that's right. Oh. I love the mixtape era. 
<laughs> Who's with me on that one? Bring back the mixtapes. Yes. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay, we uh, we do have time for every because there's a, there's probably a lot of questions that you all have specifically for Mark, and um, if you do have a question, you're gonna need to come up to the mic. I know that's frightening for people, but it's okay. We just because we're recording, and that way uh, it makes more sense to the listeners. The conversation just um, kept bringing things up to me is, you know, anybody who's ever played a game of telephone knows how oral can get changed and misconstrued, but um, I also know that in getting texts or an email or what have you that the tone is missing and so things again can get very misconstrued. So is it a combination of both of them? Or, I mean, I don't know that it's a question, but I just kind of want to know where you're, where, what your opinion is on that. Great question. Um, yes, tone gets lost in writing. And um, for me, as someone who works with the Bible, tone is really lost. Uh, I like to ask my students as we're reading uh, biblical texts, if you were going to film this and you got to, to choose the cast, who would you choose? Who would, who would be God? I always like to throw out Woody Allen um, as a good, good possibility, and most of my students laugh because that's not what they imagine. And I'm like, why? Um, the other thing that gets lost is humor and uh, cultural uh, phrases yeah. uh, when somebody's quoting somebody else. And I, f I think what's happening is when students come to the Bible, it's like, oh, this is very serious. God has a deep voice and we have to take this very seriously because God does not have a sense of humor. A porcupine for a help meet for Adam? giraffe like really God has no humor so I think we do lose those things in writing Th those things get get um, evened out in a way that um, there is something lost there and um, where where oral storytelling gives a lot of variation for those kinds of things, right? And there's a real richness with it, and I'm sure communities had preferred storytellers for how they breathed life into shared stories. People knew the basic outline, but how someone told it um, really mattered. And I, I, that's, that is a problem with writing, whether it's a text or a biblical book. And, and um, I, so I think that's also just, just triggered another thing. How, how um, in my experience of Protestant churches in the US, how Bible gets read in a church service versus how it might get read somewhere else. And then having been able to attend some synagogue services where Torah is chanted. Uh, and that's a different kind of experience as well. So cool, I get to ask Mark George this question. <laughs> Two questions, but um, one is back when I was at rabbi school and we were talking about the transition from oral tradition to written tradition, I always remember being struck by the sudden realization that 
Making it written doesn't make it permanent because language changes. And what things meant centuries ago doesn't mean that now. And if we can't update the language, then we're not really understanding what they were saying. So I'm curious what you have to say about you know, the inflexibility of written, given what you were saying at the beginning. And then also given what you were saying, I'm just curious, what's one teaching from Deuteronomy that you find compelling? I'm going to start with the second one because um, today there was, there was another news story about our venerable Supreme Court justices and whether, they're, whether they abide by the ethics rules for the courts or not. Um, and the, the uh, line from Deuteronomy that I've been thinking a lot about, and I know it's in one of the early chapters and I can't remember exactly which one, is the line, justice. Only justice shall you seek. You shall, not, you shall not take a bribe. You shall not look upon the face or the status of anyone who comes before you. If you're a judge, justice alone. And I wish I had the opportunity to read that to the justices, our current justices, all of whom claim some sort of religious tradition, Jewish or Catholic, as a reminder. On the second piece, um, sorry, I'm so, I can feel my pulse uh, picking up thinking about the justices. Um, so language does have different meanings. This also brings me back to the Supreme Court, right? They say, well, words uh, in the Constitution had a meaning and, and, and that's uh -huh. all they meant at the time. Uh -huh. Hence origina uh -huh. originalism or something like that. Um, and I know it's far more nuanced than that. but. There is, um, sorry, I'm trying to uh, calm my brain enough for the various ways that it's going to, to give a short answer. There is a process of interpretation with the text. And I grew up in a Christian, evangelical, biblicist, fundamentalist uh, context where the, the, the uh, old phrase, you know, the, the uh, what's it, the, Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it sort of thing. Um, as if the words don't require interpretation or the meanings don't change. And I think they do change. I think different um, religious traditions that accept the Bible as part of their tradition and part of their uh, authorities within their their traditions think about that question differently. So in my uh, seminary training, Princeton Theological Seminary for the Presbyterian Church USA, it was the word rightly preached. Um, seeking guidance, divine guidance to speak the word and, and in some ways capture those meanings relevant for what it means today. Doing, doing translation. I'm more taken with the Jewish practice and the understanding of oral and written Torah, that what Moses received was written down, some of it by God's self. Um, this is another thing about writing. Apparently, after Moses broke the first set of tablets, God had to rewrite them and wrote them exactly right. And I'm curious, how do we know it was exactly right? Because the first set was broken. Maybe God didn't write a lot of words. Um, so. So the, the, the words have a certain meaning, but the, either the interpretation's changing or the contexts are changing. 
And you have to continue that process of engagement and uh, interpreting, and that also gets preserved. And for me, that's a more sane way of acknowledging the dynamic between what gets written and, and ossified, if I can use that term, that, that, that it gets um, bone-like, right? It's rigid, versus how the meanings change because people continue to use language and, and, and invent new meanings for terms. That's a good question, Steve. Yeah, with, um, in the, excuse me, in the Pentateuch, the, uh, you know, religious teaching always has a way of being uh, secretive. It, it reveals probably less than it uh, conceals. How much of the Pentateuch, and we're talking about a big book, is a matter of revelation on a religious or spiritual level? And how much of it is social cohesion? I mean, there's a lot of stories in there, you know, that, that just sound to me like, you know, the, uh, it's, it's a matter of keeping a small group of people together in the midst of very tempting, large societies. It's almost like keeping people in the Midwest when their city's around. So, you know, it's like, so. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, my father was, uh, when I was a kid, would like to, s he grew up on a farm in central Washington state. And <laughs> he, 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 depending on the setting, would say, it's, you know, it's hard to keep the young man down on the farm when he's seen gay Paris. Um, so you set up a contrast between um, revelation and social cohesion. And I appreciate your, your um, setting this as a people who are surrounded by bigger cultures and uh, tempting things within them. And I think we do have to keep in mind that when we're reading these texts in the context of the United States with all the ways that our culture or cultures enjoy um, power and privilege and influence on a global scale, that was not Israel. Israel was a little rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. Because the big powers to the north were Mesopotamia, uh, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Hittite Empire, and Egypt, always Egypt in the south. And they were worried about each other, and Israel was a watering hole. Um, and why Israel's text survive is a whole other interesting kind of, kind of question. So I'm not sure, however, that an ancient audience would have understood the difference between revelation and social cohesion. My students will ask me, well, you know, they thought about these as religious texts and then they had their other things. And I'm like, eh, maybe. Because I, I'm not sure that the distinction worked for them. Uh, I think the writers were a pretty small elite group. I don't know how, and I'm being asked by a publisher about this question, who do I think actually read Deuteronomy and when? Um, I, I don't know, they probably didn't stand in a s town square and read Deuteronomy out, at least not on a regular basis. 
And it would have been read. It would have been read aloud. People would have encountered it by oral uh, reading. Um, how much of it is revelation according to the book? A lot of it. All of, in my case, in Deuteronomy, Moses is the intermediary between God and the people. So it's all revelation according to the book. And we can accept that claim or not. Um, is that part of social cohesion? So I think Deuteronomy is about uh, how to create Israel. And I don't mean that there was no Israel previously, but rather that the writers have a very particular understanding of what Israel is. And it's different, actually, than what we see in, say, Genesis and the stories of the ancestors, or what we see in Exodus. Um, so the, the, the Pentateuch, those five books are are a chorus of voices about how the world became what it is, how Israel is connected to others in the world, how peoples relate to one another, how families get along or don't get along, um, all of these kinds of things. And that's both, I think a case could be made, it's both revelation and social cohesion. I think we have time for maybe two more questions. My name's Glenn. Um, so bringing it back to the Star Wars theme and, and the Force and the Jedi, um, the Jedi were considered what I would call mystics and uh, some called their beliefs magical or you know, hogwash. Oh, they called their beliefs uh, kind of magical hogwash or um, stories um, not really founded or grounded in the real world. I think all religions uh, or many religions have their own mystical kind of sects, Gnosticism and uh, Sufism, um, but that then there's the written components of the religion, whereas mysticism's looking at the experiential and this direct connection. How do you kind of compare looking at kind of the written documents and how they inform and guide and often are maybe part of kind of authority whereas this mystical is more about the experience and the direct uh, kind of, uh, um, yeah, spiritual connection that all individuals have to the one or the source or the love or the energy. So kind of um, interested in your thoughts about that. Thank you. I love these, you know, yes, no questions. Um, <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, we should probably break, I'll get beer, um, then we can come back and answer it. So let me try, let me, let me, I have lots of ways to think about that, so let me just try this. I like this question in part because I don't consider myself a mystic or a spiritual person. So what I like about it is that it's a, it helps me think about the work that I do in a different kind of way. And one of the things I say, I have a number of students who come in and they'll say, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, uh, I'm a nun, I, you know, whatever. They, 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 they are people who understand themselves as very spiritual, sort of mystical beings, uh, mystics, um, who have, they, they're posing that sort of question to me. And, I'm so, and, and so I'll tell you what I tell them. We have to have a conversation about that because I want to make sure I understand what's uh, at stake in the mystical piece and how do we know that? 
And then also to say, I think one of the barriers when, I'll say another thing, there are long mystical traditions uh, in reading the Bible, Kabbalah, um, other sorts of things. So there are, and there are people in the room who know way more about that than I do. Here's how I, how I start to try to start a conversation with my students, which is the Bible in American culture, whether we recognize it as authoritative or not, has an iconic status. It is an icon. It is an idol. And that creates a real barrier for how we encounter it. That um, it's suffused with meanings and authority and all this other baggage that I would argue, um, whether we call it revelation or some sort of mystical power, right, there's something else going on with it. And I try to um, talk about it as people and to hold that at bay long enough to begin to um, see how we can explore it. I, I think about the Bible as a book of questions, not a book of answers. And that that serious engagement with the, with the Bible and the willingness to ask whatever we want to ask from it and let it ask whatever we think it asks of us is a mystical practice that the serious engagement of it, because mysticism can, uh, uh, can be, and mystical practices can encompass a lot of things, that that serious engagement of it is, can be part of that practice. At least that would be a place where I would start. Great question. Okay, well, uh, Dr. Mark George, the uh, phantom menace of the evening, complicating <laughs> things. <laughs> we are we're gonna take, yes, round of applause. You, we could talk for hours. If you've, if you've not heard Dr. George uh, go back, to, I don't know what the episodes are, but um, so, so I do this, guys. I, I will go back, and I get nostalgic, and I've texted a few of y'all. I'll listen to old episodes, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, stop crying. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm a little misty mystic myself. But, uh, but. All right, we're going to take a five- to ten-minute break uh, just because I think people may need to stretch, and that, well, this, this way you know you're not going to miss – the uh, return of the Eisenbaum. And uh, so, yeah. She's gonna get more beer, you're gonna get more beer. So five to 10 minutes, and we're gonna start promptly at 8.40 on the dot. Thanks so much for joining us for part one of this live podcast event, The Rise of Torah. We'll be back in a few weeks with our part two. And if you want to learn more about Brew Theology, you can find us at brewtheology.org, at brewtheology on Instagram and Facebook, and at brew underscore theology on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed listening in on this live event. Cheers.